Welcome to episode number 44 of the National Land Realty Podcast, where we discuss all things land. Our goal here is to inform, educate, and entertain those of you who own land or are interested in the buying and selling of land throughout the United States. My name is Mac Christian, and I am the Chief Marketing Officer here at National Land Realty. I'll be your host for this episode. On November 9th, 2019, National Land Realty announced a new president, Jason Burbage. Jason worked with National Land Realty for 15 years and is a founder of the company. His tenure saw a company start from small roots in South Carolina and grow into a national brand. In April of 2023, Jason made the difficult decision to move on from the company he started to pursue other goals in life. I consider Jason a friend and couldn't be more excited for what he does next. Now, every change in life brings new and exciting opportunities. On April 25th, 2023, National Land Realty announced a new leader in CEO Ronnie Richardson. Ronnie started in real estate in 1991 and has never stopped. Ronnie is one of the most successful brokers in the history of National Land Realty and is one of the most successful land professionals in the country. He's been responsible for the recruitment of countless agents and now he takes the helm of one of the largest companies in the country for real estate and land. Ronnie is here today to discuss what brought him here and give his insights on the land outlook for 2023 and beyond. This is an opportunity to gain incredible insight from one of the most experienced land professionals that you'll ever meet. And he's also my new boss. So sit back and enjoy. I am sitting here with National Land Realty's new CEO, uh, the the big boss, uh, Ronnie Richardson. And I've been trying to get you, since you were a broker, I've been trying to get you on this show. It took you getting promoted (laughs) to CEO for me to get you on here. So I'm I'm glad I got you now. Um, But you've been at this game for a while. You've been one of the more successful brokers that we've had in the company and, and there's been numerous podcasts that I've run where I've mentioned, oh yeah, so and so was recruited by Ronnie Richardson. You, you, I think you've recruited half of the agents that we have. <laughs> so, one, I want to introduce you, and two, I want to just ask you, like, how did you get into the land industry to begin with? How did you get with National Land Realty? Thanks, thanks for having me, Mac. And you have been after me ever since ever since you came on to get this done. And, uh, and this actually is the very first podcast I've ever done in my whole life. So it's, it's, it's probably going to bore your clients. Your, trial your, by fire. Your listeners. It's a little trial by fire. <laughs> so I, I was, you know, when I got out of college, it, my parents worked us like, I mean, I'm not going to say like free labor. So we worked our whole life. That's what we did. So the very first day I got out of college, I had a job. And, and that job was driving a concrete truck. And I did that for six months with a great big college <laughs> degree. And I made $300 a week and had to be at work at five o'clock every six days a week. So it wasn't long. I, I, I got a job working for craft food service and I was selling food to restaurants around, around town. And um, that was a, a, a really great job. I learned a lot about sales, but it was, you know, it, it was just throw you to the wolves. You, you get a car and you go sell, sell food. This is your territory. And and I liked that pretty good. And they sent me to to further my education. They paid for it. It was a great fit for both parties. I wanted to move up in the company. They wanted me to keep selling. And that's not really what I wanted to do is sell food for the rest of my life. And so I bought a piece of property in Holmes County, Mississippi. And I bought it on a Friday and I sold it the next Friday for and I made a I made five thousand dollars. And I thought. I'm probably fixing to retire because I mean, this is all the money in the world to me. <laughs> I just didn't have any money, but, but I made that $5,000 and I decided I'm getting in the land business. So I went to, I found the local land broker. His name was Conrad Martin in Mississippi. And he had been at it for a long time. Everybody knew him as the land guy. Um, so I went to see, see Conrad and I said, I want to get a real estate license. I want to sell land for a living. That's what I want to do. He said, okay, go get your license. And when you get them, come back and see me. I'll give you some business cards. The signs are in the supply room right down the hall. Good luck to you. I hope you make it. And that was the training. And so I went to work for Conrad. I quit working for Kraft Food Service. I went to work for Conrad. I made $13,000 the first 12 months I worked there. And, of course, my wife was just going, yeah, yeah, we're going to go broke. 
And uh, so <laughs> the second year I worked for the full year, I made $48,000. And the third year I had made $100,000 in the first six months. And so then I got smart and I, I left Conrad Martin and I opened my own company called Richardson Properties. That was in 1995. Okay. And, and um, so then I ran Richardson Properties for years and years and years. And in 2015, Conrad Martin called me back and asked me to come over to his office to meet with him. And I went over there and he, he was... You could tell he had aged a bit and he, he basically wanted me to be the broker for his company. And I told him I'd do it. And so I ended up being the broker for his company and then he passed away and I purchased his company. So then I had Richardson properties and Conrad Martin real estate in 2015. Gotcha. And then how did you end up with national land? What was the, you know, I was, I was running those two companies and probably had 40 agents at the time. And I had, I was busy. I was real busy. And, and Mark Lewis comes wagging into my office and says, Hey, I, I, I want you to talk to this fella. And I said, look, I, I don't have time to be talking to no fella. And he said, well, he's with, he's with national land realty. Well, at the time there was, there was this multi-level marketing uh, program going around called team national where you pay, money to buy in to buy some products or something and i said i bet you it's part of that team national stuff i'm not a prospect i'm busy i don't need hair products <laughs> <laughs> yeah i don't need any of that I'm, I just leave please leave my office so he says um but i knew one thing was going on in my real estate business in 2017 over 16 when Mark was the end of 2016 i knew technology was passing me because technology is expensive so he said, this, this company, this is the first company I've ever seen that actually is, is here to help an agent. Now, remember, I just said, you said, you got my training program at Conrad Martin's office. So that's how that went down. Right. And he said, he said, this company is actually going to help you. I said, all right. And I had just made a whole bunch of money on one deal. And, um, and so you can, you, you, your attitude changes when you got a whole bunch of money in your checking account, which I have since spent on hunting and, and I pissed it all away. So, um, I, uh, I said, I'll give this guy 30 minutes. If he'll come down here, I'll give him 30 minutes, but I'm telling you, he's wasting his time. And so Jason Walter flew to Jackson, Mississippi, came to the office and we sat down and, and in about 20 minutes, I, and, and I already had a trip planned to Tajikistan to go back to Kamchatka. Um, I had two trips to Africa planned that year. I had three trips to Africa planned that year. And so within 20 minutes of meeting Jason Walker and, and looking at the technology that they had, I didn't even ask him what the split was. I just said, I mean, and he said, are you serious? I said, yeah. I'm serious. I'm in, but I'm going to be hunting this whole year. And um, so I'll kind of get started next year, but I'm ready to sign up right now. I'm leaving in seven days, get my paperwork ready and I'll sign it. And he said, okay. He said, what about Mark Lewis who brought me here? I said, I don't know about Mark Lewis. I know about Ronnie. Ronnie's in. <laughs> what do you want to do, Mark? And, you know, the more I think about that meeting, the the, the more I'm convinced that that you get opportunities put in front of you on a regular basis. And, and it's a matter of whether you capitalize on those or not. And, you know, I felt like I have seen everybody else's program that's in the land business by that time. And I felt like this just feels right. And he, he didn't ask me to sign a non-compete. He didn't, there's no, there was no cost to get in. There's no cost to get out. There's no long-term contract. I mean, I didn't have anything to lose. And and sure enough, as soon as I got in, I mean, the help started coming, and I knew I had made the right decision. See, you need to just tell that story. All, I guess you do tell that story all the time, don't you? <laughs> I tell it all the time. I mean, because, and, and, and when I go recruit people, I'll tell them that story. And, 
you know, some, and, and some, some, this isn't a, a fit for everybody. And some people yeah. don't go for it. Some people do. But if, if you look at the technology and you know, there's no way I could duplicate what we have here. It would financially break. It would financially break Richardson properties and or Conrad Martin real estate and Ronnie Richardson to try to get that technology. I just couldn't do it. But it, 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 it wouldn't make any sense. Yeah, because that was, I mean, that, that, that's where it is interesting. It was the primary focus was technology out of the gate and and things like Landtour 360, the mapping technology that we started utilizing, stuff like that, that they really kind of put us up above. And then and then the support crew, the way that they managed to where it is dedicated support for agents at all times. It, it's a very, very unique thing that would be hard if you were established in a certain situation to say, oh, OK, I'm going to do those things. It's it's cost prohibitive to, to do I'd like just to build it up. Like this was built up over time and started building out. You know, I'll tell you a funny story about Jason. He gave us, uh, and he finally told me what the split would be and what they were willing to pay for. And I said, I didn't say, I, I didn't argue at all. I said, okay, please get my paperwork ready. Because I knew he overcommitted and me and Mark were laughing at him when he left. We go, this guy's crazy. What is he drunk or something? I mean, this is, we're going to break this company. We, we will break this company because we had both run our own companies and we knew what the margins are on brokerages. And, and, and he said, and I, and, and as after he left, we were laughing at him. We we're going, yeah, he'll be back. Don't worry. He'll be back to the trough. It won't be long either. And about six months, Jason calls up. And he goes, hey, <laughs> did I meet you and Mark for dinner one night? And uh, so we go, yeah, here it comes. And sure enough, it, 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 that's exactly what happened. But we expected it. Yeah. And, and, and no we're not greedy. We, we, we knew it. We knew he could, it was not a sustainable model that he gave us. And so, of, of, of course, we, we made some adjustments to where it was a win-win for both parties. Right. Which is also unique doing the, like, a, you know, doing the negotiations that way to where it's like, yeah, we all work together and mm-hmm. it's, it's a, it's a very unique kind of setup, but rather than waxing poetic on, on our company, cause I try to keep it as, as limited on sales kind of stuff as possible. Cause I, you know, but we gotta, we gotta, you know, give, give credit where it's due. Uh, sure. I saw, I saw, I wanted to get your insight. You're a new CEO to a national company that does land real estate. And, and, you know, we've become one of the, one of the largest companies in the United States for doing this. Um, I wanted to, to sort of get your reading on the pulse of land throughout the United States. This is 2023. We've experienced multiple interest rate hikes. Um, there's rumblings on the street about commercial loans coming due. There, there is some trepidation in the street for, for real estate in general, but you know, with all the clients that you work with, with all the agents that you're talking to on a regular basis, what is sort of your pulse on the street as far as the land market and where you're seeing things moving? Matt, what, I, what I've always seen is that land is a hedge against that inflation. And, you know, so I've never, I've, I've, I have not lived through a major decrease in land values in my 32 years career. And this is, I, and this started, is inside of, I, to, to give perspective too, this is, we're talking, you've seen the dot-com crash. You've seen the real estate crash of 2006, 2008. You've, you've been through all those things. And this is in spite of that land still. In, in spite of that, in spite of that, you've seen some regional, some, some regional areas where there may be a, a decrease where something was overvalued. But overall, you know, when I started, we were selling land for in Mississippi, we were selling land for two hundred dollars an acre and people cussing at us, asking us, did we think there was a gold mine under it or something? Because we were asking two ten an acre for it. And and now some of the prices are, are, are it stuns me what we're paying for some 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 recreational land in Mississippi. Now, the, the overall real estate market uh, Monday, I was in Dallas. And, and we were looking at some townhomes in Dallas to get some ideas on some other projects that I'm working on. And they were offering $100,000 discounts on townhomes in the Metroplex. Now, the Metroplex population is expected to double in the next four years. Four to five years, their population should double to 14 million people. So you would think there would never be a discount on, a, on anything 
in Metroplex because they're still building like crazy. But they're offering hundred thousand dollar discounts on on townhomes there, and I I think that's simply because the cost of capital has gone up. Now, when when you when you compare that to a piece of land, for example, we have a ten thousand acre piece of property for sale in on the Mississippi River in Arkansas, and it's it, it's we we were this we were right at getting close to putting that thing under contract. And the the guy, the developer that wanted to buy it, wanted to put a share club in there, which means he wants to sell, you know, 20 shares for a million dollars a piece and everybody go duck hunting. Very common, not a problem, but the cost of capital inched up just a little bit. And when you're borrowing 20 or $30 million, it don't have to move much to, to, to change the face of the deal. And, and I see that change in the face of some of these bigger deals out there right now. I see that cost of capital changing the the urgency of somebody to, to get something bought and they just pump the brakes on it. So they can't buy it for 20 million and make it work. They can and it drives the price down a little bit because the cost of capital goes up. Common sense. It makes makes perfect sense. Um, but but in places like Kansas, for example, in Oklahoma, we see a lot of people parking money in places like that. They're buying some of this, some of this row crop land. It's sight unseen. They just look at the soil type, and and I think they're just parking money there. Just to hedge against inflation, you have an income just to hedge property, and you have the property value. Just to hedge against inflation, and and hope it hope it appreciates. Yeah, and like and it like it historically has. I was going to say, and this is in spite of the fact that those land, the, the land in the Midwest is at the highest it's ever been. They've set records month over month over month over month, and it's still getting invested in because of the hedge value. You know, and we see stuff, we see, we see row crop land in the state of Mississippi and Alabama and Tennessee and Arkansas. We see those prices, and, and, and I've talked to some lenders, some of the ag lenders out there. And they anticipate those prices are still going to continue at double-digit inflation increases simply because of one fact, and that's that we have water. And and you see these these row crop properties in Iowa bringing you know seventeen, eighteen, nineteen thousand dollars an acre. The lenders in the southern part of the United States believe that we're gonna we're gonna see those prices in row crop in our lifetime down here. Because of the water. Now, if 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 they believe that, they're loaning money based on their beliefs. So you, you just got to believe as as an agent that we're going to continue that same hedge against inflation with land. Yeah, and that's and that's something that that to to put in perspective as well. It's it's not just the land value that increases the value of that land. It's it's the you know when you produce a crop, you have the return on that crop. But it's also to offset the cost of the inputs, right? So your fertilizer right. is on way up. Water, water is more rare, especially when you move out west. That's where it gets crazy. Like the water right. is huge out west where it's getting dry. And and so the, the land value becomes that much more important to offset. You know, it becomes more valuable because everything else has become more expensive as it moves up. And those things don't look like they're moving anywhere anytime soon. And it's one of those, it's one of those capital market things that we do see. No matter what causes it, if if there's a price increase just due to the nature of obligation to investors, you don't see it drop very often. No, I agree. And and you know, I, I don't know. I would hate to try to pencil a farm deal for myself. I would hate to go try to buy a thousand acres, and I'm going to plant a corn crop out there, and and try to pencil that and make it work. It would be it, it would be a struggle. Uh, and, yeah. and and so I don't I don't see how how the, they I just don't see how it pencils for them, but it's still the price is still going up. It is every time we come around. The country, it definitely is. So so what what is sort of the conversations that you've been having with people that are are looking at the general economic indicators that are looking at interest rates? People that are like want to get in and get you know buy a land, but they're sort of sitting on the sideline. They've got some nervous nervousness about it. What, what are you kind of seeing on the street for, you know, what, what makes that decision? What, you know, what pushes them over the edge to say, all right, this is the right time. 
Well, it's, it's similar to what we talked about earlier. And, and I tell people this all the time when, when I'm showing them property is I live through 08. I live through 09. In the year 2009, I did not make five cents. I did not have one single real estate closing in 2009. Oof. None. And, you know, I was, I was actually in Africa in 2008 and I, I was in Tanzania and we didn't have a television, but when I got to South Africa, I was meeting a group of people in South Africa that I was going to take on safari. And I looked at the TV and, 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 and one of these lodges and it said, Lehman Brothers has folded. If you're in the real estate business, you may want to think about restructuring your life. And I said, guys, I hope you kill a kudu. I got to get home. And we had a big project going on out in Colorado and it, it it's, so what I tell people is you can get in and buy these condos and buy these houses and and buy these big warehouses if that's where you want to park your money. But understand, if you leverage, if you leverage that investment property, you can sit there and have vacant property. And it don't take at one time I owned about 10 buildings and I probably had seven of them vacant and they were all leveraged. Well, that's when you get a lesson of, of living at your office or living in the backseat of your truck, because I mean, all your money's leaving every month. And with a piece of land, if you don't over leverage it and it's producing anything, whether it's timber income, hunting lease income, solar income, wind income, farming, whatever it is, you know, you can, you can, you can make it, you can survive or you can liquidate it. You know, I've never seen a, I've never seen where there's, there's zero demand for land when you when the market is is going down or somebody's losing their land. I mean, of course, we start really hammering on the bankers at that point to get the to get the inventory. And then when you're in an up market like we've been in the last you know four or five years, then it's easy and you don't need to pound on nobody's going bankrupt. Everybody because you can sell it. You know, you can sell it just about any time. So. Um, that's the advice I give people about parking money in land is, is it's like, it's just like putting money in the bank. And it's mainly because I have not seen a, a huge downturn in the prices like the stock market or like an industrial building or like an apartment building or any of those commercial developments. So on the opposite side of the, the sort of, you know, the, purchase exchange, right? Like we're talking about like people looking at land and sitting on the sideline. What about from the the opposite side, the seller market, where you have some people not putting their listings on the market? And, and we see that in the numbers, right? We have record low inventories across the country. It doesn't matter what what realm of real estate you're in, whether it's commercial, residential, or, or you know, agricultural, you've got a lot of sellers on the sideline that are sort of nervous about putting listings on the market. What, what are, you know, what sort of are you anticipating out of that? And is it, I guess the base question is, is now still a good time to sell? You know, I, I can't, I disagree with some people about, about markets and time to sell. The time to sell is, is when you got to buy, whenever that is. And, and, and I'm not necessarily one of these guys that says, Oh, let's wait till, let's wait till September to put our property on the market. And so my advice to the sellers is the only way we're going to catch somebody is bait a hook and put it out there. I mean, I don't know who we're going to catch. And, and, you know, I'll never forget in 2009 when condo prices in Florida, they were not going like they were not, they were not going down at a very slow level. They fell completely straight down from 60,000 feet. And I'll never forget, I was down there and there was a billboard because the prices were dropping so fast. There was a billboard and that's when I learned about what a short sale is. But there was a, there was a huge billboard coming into Pensacola that said, do not assume opportunity will knock more than once. And what they meant was if somebody's offering you 200000 for that condo today, next week, it may be, it may be worth one fifty. And it very easy. It was dropping just that fast. So from a seller standpoint, if if they really want to sell their property, 
you know, I, I would say it's time to put it on the market. And it, whenever, whenever you need the money, that's when it's time to get it on the market. You can't wait and wait and wait. And I've seen people, I've seen them wait until the market slows a little bit and then catastrophe hits and they end up sick or bankrupt or divorced or dead. And then, you know, then we can't sell it because they, they, they were, they were really at the high end and could have sold it. And they waited and waited and waited and the ship went past them at that rate, at that price. So I mean, I advise them if you, if you want to sell it, let's get it on market. The, a lot of that remains true. So it's, it's language that's used for investments just across the board period, right? Like every, every investment prospectus you ever receive from any company has the disclaimer on there that past performance does not indicate future performance. You do right. and, and the number one thing that you can do to lose money for any investment is try to time the market. Like, Oh, I'm just going to yeah. wait. It's going to do this. And I think it's going to do that. And then it doesn't, and it, it curves away right. that you expect because you know, no one could predict something like a war in Ukraine. No one could predict something like commercial, uh, you know, values dropping or no one could predict something like COVID hitting. Right. I mean, those are right. all, the people that were trying to predict any of that couldn't, no one could ever do that. Exactly. Exactly. And so, you know, I, I, I tell them, let's get it out there and, and, and see what we can find. Here's the prices. And with the technology we got, we know, you know, we, we know about what it's worth. Even if somebody wants to major league overprice their property, which most sellers do. I mean, we have a, we have a conversation on the front end is okay. You know, we'll, we'll get it out there and we'll try it, but the market's going to tell us what the market's going to tell us what it's worth. And Ronnie ain't going to tell you what it's worth. I mean, I don't, I, I mean, we, we can ask whatever, whatever, whatever you want, but it may take a while. What is the, what is the, in, in your experience, what is the most important thing a seller can do to drive a sale? Prices property at market value. That's it. Price your property at market value, sell the property, take the money, do whatever you're going to do with the money, invest it. If you invest it, if you overprice it, your opportunity costs are leaving you every day. It's costing you money to not sell your property. Especially if you're playing with a couple million dollars and, and it's real simple math. You take a couple million dollars and you invest it at, at 5% and that's a hundred thousand dollars a year. So it's costing you a hundred thousand dollars a year to have to, to keep your property. But if you price it right, it's going to sell. And that's sort that's of a the, key that, thing. And that's, and it's sort of like, that's where the, that's where the land professionals come in. Right. I mean, that's, that's right. really where the rubber hits the road is getting somebody a proper assessment and then representing the property correctly, right? I mean, it's all fancy photos and property descriptions after that and just getting out to the public view because the people that want it are going to find it, right? That's correct. They are going to find it. And and with and technology the way it is, these these search engines, the buyers have gotten so so good in search engine, you know, management. They they know what they're looking for and they can find it. And yep. if it's priced right. I mean, if your neighbor, if, if, if you got two pieces of property, they're right beside each other. And it's, it's you know, one of them's 5,000 an acre and one of them's 3,000 an acre. That 5,000 is going to sit there for a while. And, and I've really seen some of that stuff in commercial. You know, you get a you get a family that owns 40 acres of commercial property in Byron, Mississippi. And they think they're all going to retire off of it. So they, they, you know, they think, well, let's just ask a hundred thousand dollars an acre for it. Okay. Well, the market's $15,000 an acre. And, and, and this is a, a, a very, and this is a real live example. It was five of them that owned that. And I said, guys, you know, at the price y'all are asking, there's a very good possibility that all of all five of you are going to be in heaven before that money ever gets to your checking account before you get there. And right now, today, they've all passed away and the land's still sitting there. That's oh, so that is true then. And, and so it did. It, it's, it, it's exactly what happened. And now you don't have five people fighting over the land. You got all their heirs. So you probably got 30 people fighting over it. Um, and it still hadn't sold. So still at it. That's what I value. And stuff. So, so right up front make sure that you get the right consultation on the land value to, to where you right. go to market and, and you're not 
you're not over over pitching yourself on the market. Correct. Correct. So even in tough times like this, you value, you value right. You're still going to move. And and you're going to bump into some anomalies out there that are that are. For example, if a famous person owns a duck hole or a deer hunting place or a farm or whatever, you know, somebody's willing to pay, you know, more money than everyone to pay over market for that. You know, but just because somebody overpaid for, um, uh, for Ronald Reagan or Ronald Reagan's ranch, that don't mean they're going to overpay for every other property out there. So there's a few right. anomalies out there, but for the most part, you know, you, you, you as a real estate agent ought to be able, you should know about what the price should be on a hundred acre timberland track with access with utilities in Catahoula Parish, Louisiana. You should know that. So, and there's enough data to find it. There, there, yeah. That's what we, yeah. We're in that all day. Um, so when you, and I guess to, to close in, you know, we talked about buyers, we talked about sellers. Uh, I think it's probably good to talk about agents as well. And, you know, land professionals out there. And, and, and we, we use the word land professional internally. People on the outside are just going to say real estate agent. And it, but it's, it's real estate agents that spe- they, they specialize in land. Um, in, in a market like this, where we, we look at, you know, inventory is not, you know, jumping onto the market as fast, you know, buyers are sitting there, inventory is low. Um, there's some market trepidation and, and agents are looking at sort of a, I guess, slower than the last two years. It's, I have a hard time saying the last it's slower than the last two years. Cause the last two years have been just insane. As far as the amount of stuff that moved in the last two years, people didn't really have to try. And, and now it's like the try is hitting. People are having to work a little harder to do business. Right. What's, what's sort of in the experience that you've had where you've seen down markets like this and you've, and you've seen down markets on a level that don't, don't even compare to this, like 06, 08 were just apocalyptic. And mm-hmm. what do you see that drives success out of a time period like this, where maybe, maybe you've got to work a little harder to get business? Mac, I would I would say this is is as a real estate agent, I can't tell you how many times I've somebody's called me and said, Can you come out here and, and look at my place? Yeah, get out there. They'll have, let's just say they got a hundred acres and they've sold twenty acres and they've sold a hundred percent of their frontage along the road. <laughs> you go. Okay, look, you needed me on the front end to help you. You didn't need me on the rear end. Now, what they did was sell that when times were very easy. Now, easements are a huge thing right now, and you're going to see some of these landowners that sold their property during the really easy times. They didn't use a professional, and you're going to see some huge issues pop up with some of those properties over the next 30, 40 years. So when I when I talk to a seller, I try to talk to them about how is this going to look in a hundred years from today? How is this going to look? And and I see huge mistakes they make. Like, well, I gave my cousin a fifteen foot easement so he could get in there and deer hunt. Well, you made a mistake. I mean, because that's not wide enough to do anything with, and you've diminished the value of your property. You needed me on the front end, not the rear end. And so the more education the agents can get about things like easements and, 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 and county regulations and utilities 1031s and, and, and 1031s and everything that an agent can do to make himself look like the smartest that, that he's educated. He's not just a real estate agent out here doing this part time that, that he's really educated and confident in helping his clients. If you can do that, the residual business will, will will flood your phone and it doesn't take many years because if that guy realizes that he was fixing to make a mistake and you saved him, the best advertising is just word of mouth. Everybody knows that. And he's going to tell his uncle down the road, golly, Ronnie Richardson saved me. I was fixing to sell Uncle Jimmy all the frontage on my property. And, and you know, he said, no, no, don't do that. And and so I would say that the more professional you are and the more you know that 
the better off your business is going to be as an agent. And don't be scared to tell them that they're screwing up. If somebody is 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 fixing to make a huge mistake with their land, I would I would advise agents tell them. Don't be don't think it's going to hurt their feelings. It probably is going to hurt their feelings, but you know, it, I would I would I tell them. What about the what about the fear? And I'm just going to throw this out there because I you know I grew up in a mm-hmm. rural area, and and that's primarily what we deal with, where a lot of a lot of landowners are suspicious of somebody who works at a sales capacity and i say sales capacity because and what you're talking about is consultation right like mm-hmm. to be effective you're a consultant first you give information mm-hmm. you educate but no matter what you still look like sales you look like you smell like sales you look like sales you know what's what sort of a word of advice for landowners that feel that way like why would i talk to one of you guys you just want me to sell and, and and that is a great question because most of the time when I consult with a landowner, they will ask me at some point early on in the conversation, they'll say, are you a real estate broker? Are you an attorney? Are you a, a financial advisor? And, and, and it's because I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely consulting them from A to Z. What is your capital gains exposure going to be on the sale? Why are you selling? What are you going to do with the money? What about this? Do you have, what about this fence coming across here? Is this, do you have a little, any litigation going on with this? How do you access the property? Where's the utilities? Things that we should know as agents. And you know, what's the good agents ask those questions every single time. And, and with national land, we have the tools in our toolbox to answer, to help them with those questions or those situations. And, you know, it's, it's, it's funny because I like to think, I like to think, and, and I may not be right about this, but I like to think of me leaving farmer Jim's place and riding off in my truck and the competition pulling in right behind me and looking at my truck going, Oh no. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> I know I'm not getting this listing. <laughs> and, and, and a lot of that is, of course, that's just in my mind. That doesn't always happen, but I can tell you that the landowner's educated when I leave, he knows the right questions to ask and, 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 and the mistakes to not make in selling his land. So it's, it's more that, that consultative level of like, yeah, in the end, you know, the person is an agent and they make their money by helping you sell, but right. But up front, you are saving yourself a lifetime of pain, potential permanent financial mistakes by talking to somebody like that, by getting that that useful information other than just going to market and selling with somebody. And the and 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 the agent should be educated about that. Correct. You know, and, and and I'm not gonna say the full-time agents are more educated than the part-time agents. It it the agent should be educating himself and listening to these podcasts and these webinars and attending every training he can, wherever it comes from, whether it comes through RLI or whether it comes through, a, um, whether he's shadowing another agent, he ought to be taking in everything he hears that a successful agent does. And that's how you get that repeat business over and over and over and over and over. Absolutely. So I, I want to ask you like sort of a, a lead out few questions here. Uh, what is, what is your plan for, and I want to ask you what the plan is for national land realty, but you're just getting situated in the role and that's probably just leaving, leading you out to slaughter there. But <laughs> what's, what's sort of the direction that you want to, and I guess that is the overall question is, is where are you taking the company? But in terms of related to sort of land markets in the U S and where you see the position of land companies like national land or the, the market for land owners in general, as we move forward, you know, past 2023. And, and, and this is, I'll tell you a story first, Mac, about recruiting people and, and how I I feel like we're going to move the needle. What's going to happen to the land business. I'll get back to the story in just a second, but I tell, I, I tell people all the time, especially the Richardson properties and the Conrad Martin real estates, you better hit your wagon to somebody. 
because you're going to get caught. Technology is going to pass you. You're going to get caught with your pants down and it's, and, and, and technology is going to be so far past you that there's not going to be any way to catch up. That's what I did. That don't mean that everybody else is going to do that, but that's what I did. And I'm, I'm real confident in, in the decision I've made. So when I recruit somebody, whether it's a, and, and I really like to recruit brokers because they've sat on this side of the table and pay bills. So they know that some years there's more money in your checking account than you think you'll ever spend. And some years you have worked all year and you're $5,000 upside down and all your agents are asking for a new pickup truck, a new computer and a raise and want you to pay for everything. And you lost five grand. So, you know, I've seen both sides of that and, and you get a broker that you can help and it will change his life to hitch his wagon to somebody like somebody like a national land or a big company that's got that, that, that has the technology that we have now th this and I have recruited a lot of people to come to work for national land and it's, and it's pretty simple. I mean, you, 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 I live and die by, by this book by Tom Kelly called the TH Kelly handbook. And it's real simple. It's just, you, you, you treat people like you want to be treated. Don't lie to them. Don't cheat from them. Don't steal, give them a mission that's attainable, help them achieve it. Like, and it's easy. Take in more money than you're spending. But the, the, to get back to the story, I was going to recruit this guy. He had a he had a um, a grace portable building or, or or a prefab little portable building beside the road that was just big enough for him and his daughter to to sit in. Had two desks in there and a window unit air condition. Had a sign on the side like Matt Christensen Real Estate or something like that. So I said, let me whip in here and show this old boy some real, some real estate technology and I'll, I'll have him gathered up in about 30 minutes. So I went in there and talked to him a little bit, introduced myself. And he said, uh, well, we've been, we've been here a long time and we sell Shetland pony farms. And I'm thinking, what is he talking? What is a Shetland pony farm? But what he was talking about <laughs> How many Shetland pony farms can you sell in the United States? So he says, yeah, we sell Shetland pony farms. I said, well, what exactly is that? And he said, well, it's, you know, 20, 40 acres. People coming out of the, coming out of the city, one little place out in the country. And I'm thinking, yeah, I bet you hadn't sold, I bet y'all hadn't sold $100,000 worth of Shetland pony farms. But I didn't say that. Because you're said, calling well, something that nobody understands. Well, yeah, and, and, and you know, and he was selling little mini farms. And, yeah, and so yeah. he says, I said, well, how much could you possibly have sold? Because, you know, I'm cool and the company I got is cool. And it's, it's got, it's, we got all this cool technology and all. And he said, well, I think last year we did $54 million. And his overhead is zero. He's in that portable building and he sold $54 million. I asked him for an application. I'm going to see about getting me a license out there. <laughs> that guy will be selling Shetland Pony Farms, and he will be outselling all the competition for the rest of his life. He don't need what we have. He just simply don't need it. But, I mean, what oh, a wrong. great There is an angle on the Shetland Pony Farm. I was like, man, nobody's going to know what that is, but no, I'm wrong. That's what, <laughs> yeah, that's what he was selling. I mean, he was selling 20 to 40 acres out in the middle of nowhere. And he sold $54 million worth and nobody else was around. So, you know, he's getting both sides of, of every single deal he's getting. I mean, the guy's making a, a, a bunch of money and he's not putting it in technology and he's certainly not putting it in bricks and mortar office. So it was a great educational hour for me to sit there and talk to that guy as opposed to a mom and pop guy in town that, that has Conrad Martin real estate with bricks and mortar. And he's trying to get ahead. You can spend all your money trying to get ahead. And, um, so it's, it's the people I'm looking for are those people that, that have the, those brokers that are, that are making more money than they can spend one year and the next year they're upside down. Now we're getting, back into that we're, we're starting into that time period but there's been so much money printed and, and during covid there was so much money printed 
you know, I don't, I don't anticipate we will get back to that dark time of 2008, 9, 10. I don't, I don't believe we'll get back to that point. So it kind of fits the narrative that we've seen across the board is with there, there's a lot of people that, you know, every, it, it seems like the whole country has PTSD talking about 2006, 2008, when they talk about what's coming up and every, and, and, it's one of those where like something happens. So then everything that happens in the future looks like that. And, and most people that we've talked to, most experts we've had, we've had, you know, economics professors on this show that talk to agriculture and everybody's saying the same thing. Even lenders are, they're like, we're looking at a plateau. It's, it's more like the market is letting us know that you've reached capacity. That doesn't mean it's going to explode in your face tomorrow. But it's more than likely a plateau. It could, there could be a decline on the horizon, right? Like that's definitely a thing. But the value of land and the purchasing of land and using land as a as an inflation device, using it as and sometimes an investment device, sometimes just a cash holding device, sometimes an income generating device. But still, the demand will be there as we move forward for sure. I agree that the demand will be there, especially you know we we have. We have educated our agents and partnered with with a plethora of companies that that use land at a at a different capacity than recreation or or, or general farming. And, and I'm talking about from windmills to solar farms to uh, mineral interest to um, leasing, and, and we we've we've chased a lot of rabbits to make sure we, that the landowners get the maximum return on that money on, on, on that land. And we can provide all that to our, to our client. So last question before I, I hold you here, you know, chat with me all day. Uh, <laughs> what does the future hold for you and national land? You know, I told Jason when he, Jason Walter, when he started down this path. And just to said, clarify too, because listeners might not know, Jason Walter is the founder of National Land. He still holds title of CEO for the umbrella company, but not necessarily not National Land, the brokerage, which you hold the, the title of CEO for that, just to make sure anybody listening Correct. understands Correct. like this, this is the, the originator and founder. The um, so what I told him is, look, I don't have the answer to everything. I don't even know questions to ask. It's going to take a minute for me to figure this out because this is like, you know, running those small companies I ran. The basic principles are the same. It's just at a, it, it's just at a exponential number compared to what I've done in the past. So you know what the future holds is. I, I feel like there's going to there will always be land sold always and for, for a million reasons. And, and the analogy I use is if you go to church with 400 people, just think how many of those people make the prayer list every month, you know, for, for whatever reason, whether it's they had a car wreck or got broke or got divorced, bankrupt, we don't wish that on anybody, but, those are the reasons that people change their reasoning or their position in the land business. So there'll always be land out there for sale. Um, one, one quick story, Mac is at, at one time in two, in 1995, I guess, 1996, I thought that I said, man, I'm the king. I'm selling so much real estate. I bet you ain't nobody else. I don't even know why anybody else in Hines County, Mississippi would have a real estate license because they got to be starving to death because I'm killing them. I sell everything. I probably got 90% market share. So I checked. I went to the courthouse and I, and I ran title in Hines County and looked to see what my market share was. And I anticipated it being somewhere around 50%. It was less than one half of 1%. That's what it was in <laughs> Hines County, Mississippi. You got humbled. <laughs> oh, I, I, absolutely. And so, you know, it, it goes to show you that was a great experience of, of learning how much volume is out there. And I know at one time you worked at Landleader, which was a huge company or a huge marketing company. You know, I, I just had no idea how much real estate land business there was out there probably until I got with national land realty because I never thought I would, would 
go outside the state of Mississippi, but now I see it. So it's, it, you know, the business is out there. We just have to go pick it up and we have to differentiate ourselves from the competition. And so my goal is to continue to put tools in the toolboxes of these agents and work as one company moving forward. Because the more tools they have, the more education they have, the smarter they're going to sound and the more they're going to be able to consult with the landowner and get the landowner as much as possible for his property and guide him correctly on what, what he, uh, on help. So that's, that's what I see the future as that's where I'm going to put my focus on. And for example, this past week, we now have implemented NLR 1031. So we have our own QI in the, in, within the company. So we control the deal. It's not really, I hate to say control the deal. We assist the landowner from the time he decides to sell. If he's going to do a 1031, we're going to handle the QI to make sure he don't miss any dates. So I was going to say, it's, now, it's, not, it's, not, it's not controlling the deal. It's more, we're not just handing him off to vendors that we know. That's correct. And, and, and the, 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 the seller has one person to call. He's going to call me or he's going to call Clint or he's going to call Jared Moyer. And he's going to say, he's going to steady be getting updates. How many days do I have left to identify? How many days I got left to close? We're going to make sure that gets done. And I would venture to say we're probably the only real estate company out there that has an internal QI, an internal 1031 facilitator program with the QI that we can help our client. And, and those are the things that are going to make a difference in the future when we're, when we're talking to landowners. Excellent. Well, Ronnie, I appreciate your time, man. I've been trying to get you on here for a while. I, <laughs> what I want to hear too is, so you, you, you mentioned Kamchaka, right? We just did that podcast with Aaron Graham talking about his bear hunt and yeah. His, his story is one of the most epic stories I've ever heard. You've been there 12 times. Yes. yes. <laughs> okay. We're getting you back on. We're going to talk about that. Uh, I'm not going to do that right now, but man, we're talking about it. All right. I'm going to let it, you go, it, but yeah. Okay. Well, it just, just, I appreciate the time, Mac. And um, if, if I can help you get anything done, you just let me know. Absolutely appreciate it, man. I'll be talking to you. This concludes episode number 44 for the National Land Realty Podcast, discussing the state of land and the direction of National Land Realty with new CEO, Ronnie Richardson. You can learn more about land ownership and the buying and selling of land at nationalland.com.